We're back. That's right. <laughs> Episode three, Team Supreme Podcast. We out here, and we're uh, we're back with uh, another great podcast for you guys. We've interviewed the daddy, the great daddy Kev, the great daddy Kev, um, founder of Low End Theory and uh, Alpha Pop Records, and a legendary mastering engineer. So uh, yeah, for yes. all you nerds out there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we recorded him earlier this week, so it's already done. We're just kind of doing an intro right now. Um, wanted to remind you guys about. Uh, we got volume 140 coming up, I think, next couple weeks. Volume 140, look mm-hmm. for the samples. First Tuesday of the month. Yep. And uh, also, just make sure you guys go into the iTunes, uh, like, you know, rate it and subscribe this podcast if you're enjoying it. Uh, it definitely helped us out when we announced that the first episode. We said that. And then, like, we didn't even look at it until, like, a week later. We're like, oh, shit, we're, like, number 30 in the iTunes music category. So it's cracking. It was really tight. So then the next episode, we didn't say anything, and then it didn't really move. So we're just going to keep reminding you guys, um, if you haven't yet, please rate us and like subscribe or whatever you need to do on uh, on the iTunes. Side yeah, the keep, it, keep it interactive. Yeah. Also, keep the questions coming. Uh, we, we're getting in a lot of good questions, actually. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff about music and workflow. Yeah. Um, um, if you guys want to send in direct questions, I'll say it one more time. Send it to the, the Team Supreme Podcast at gmail.com. Um, this is going to be the first episode where we actually read questions from there because um, we recorded the first two without you know anyone knowing about that existed. So yeah, so yeah, we got a few here. Let's let's pull them up here. So uh, first question comes from Hunter Hunter Hans. Uh, it's through Gmail. Uh, he he linked us to this really cool video that um, our good friend, late friend Doctor Dirge actually made. Um, and it's, I didn't even know this. I didn't know, even know that he made YouTube videos, uh, tutorials on, on his workflow and production. It's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, he, they, they sent us this link and, uh, Hunter is wondering if we could do a video in the style of what Dirge did. Um, and absolutely. I think that would be amazing. Uh, Dane and I are definitely working on trying to incorporate some video content. Um, so that way you guys can actually see what we're doing in Ableton. Uh, and follow along but uh this video is really sick i'm actually gonna put this for sure in the uh in the description of the podcast so you guys can check this out um dr george was an an insane producer uh participated on so many team supreme cyphers i can't even count how many cyphers he was on um but yeah this video is hilarious and it's it's really cool and it's actually very insightful and into his workflow yeah, it's uh, it's basically just a um, screen screen video grab of like his just looking at his Ableton session, which is kind of what we want to do um, a little bit. We want to do kind of what he's doing, plus maybe like another angle of you know our faces or just yeah. whoever whoever we have in the studio that day, because I think that'd be kind of a cool thing. But we got to get get on top of our video stuff uh, before we can do that. But but mm-hmm. yeah, this thank you for sending this link. It's it's definitely a good. Uh, you know, we could start going this direction for sure. So look for that link in the description on uh, wherever you follow us uh, for this podcast. I think at the end he had some questions too. Oh, snap. All right. You want to read that? Uh, yeah, he said, this is the same guy, Hunter. He said, how did you how did you and members of your collective go about finding income through music, through your music? Um, and I think that's actually a good question that we uh, we discussed a lot with Daddy Kev in the, in the interview we're about to play. Um, so I'll kind of just let the podcast play out and you'll kind of hear his take on things, um, you know, to get the answer to that, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the other question he said, I believe it was Jemba Jemba um, go about growing his art farm from small town Ohio. <laughs> Close. He's from Iowa. <laughs> um, how did he go about making connections? 
asking as a small rural town musician. That's awesome. Um, it's cool to hear that people are listening and following us from like not LA because it, yeah. it feels like we're, we're in LA. So we're just like, oh, everyone's here. But obviously, <laughs> you know, I travel around a lot and that's definitely not the case. So thank you for writing in. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that'd be a question for Jemba. So yeah, I'm totally. sure he'd be a, definitely a contender to be on this podcast pretty soon. So I'll just leave that up to him to answer that um, for himself. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that the Internet is is pretty crazy these days, you know. 10 years ago was not the same, mm-hmm. you know, the same playing field. So you could be pretty much anywhere and, you know, and, and sort of get by. But yeah, act, definitely a great question for Jemba specifically. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to get him on the show. Yeah, I think that'd be a really cool uh, interview. Hell yeah. All right. Next question from Jack Habib. Uh, so he's saying he really likes our podcast. Um, I, love, I love how oh, laid yeah. back but informative they are. I wanted to re- recommend some people to reach out to for the show. As far as collectives go, Moving Castle is putting in some serious work, and they have also been around for quite a while. You know anything about Moving Castle? Possibly? Moving Castle's dope. Yeah, we played a show with them actually in uh, Boston, a penthouse penthouse show with them. Um, they're awesome. They're uh, they're from Australia, and they've got a lot of great producers on their their uh, roster. So yeah. Um, that'd be an awesome collective to reach out for. Definitely doable. So yeah, I'm going to be working on that ASAP. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, he also said, uh, you guys should also look into speaking with medicine and electric mantis. I'm currently obsessed with their releases. (laughs) I would also love to hear from some of the other guys from team Supreme anyways. Oh, sorry. Any, some of the other guys from team Supreme anyways, keep up the good work, Jack, for sure. Um, we can do all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know them personally, but I could definitely reach out to them. They, I know, you know, Medicine, Electric Mantis, their productions are incredible. They're, they're extremely clean, their production style. I think I'm playing with Medicine at South by Southwest at some random, like, showcase. So maybe nice. I can, like, reach out to him there. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, other guys from Team Supreme. Basically, if we're going to keep up this pace of, like, weekly... Team Supreme podcast. There's there's no way we don't interview everyone from Team Supreme. Yeah. yeah. So anybody that you're wondering about, I'm sure it's going to be happening pretty soon. For sure. Um. Yeah. All well, right. Thanks for writing in. Yeah. Next up, a question from Ben Nix Bradley. Okay. Yeah. This one's pretty long, so I'm just going to kind of skip to maybe some of the direct questions he's asking. Yeah. Checked out the new podcast that you guys are putting out. Way to go with the updates in the podcast. I think he's asking about live streaming, live streaming shows. For sure. Sort of like Boiler Room style. Um, Um, Let me see. What did he say? (laughs) Uh, What do you think? Oh, what do you think about Twitch as a platform for more than games? And also, what online tutorials do you recommend for people new to the craft? Um, Ooh! Oh, oh. And, and also he's asking. I kind of skipped the part about live streaming, so I guess we could just kind of like bundle all the answers in together. Um, gotcha. That's I don't actually, know. Yeah, that's actually good. I like that idea. Twitch. Um, I love Twitch. Um, I actually love playing video games as well. So uh, <laughs> fun, fun fact, fun fact. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to actually do. We've talked about this for so long. Doing like a Twitch live stream of like Super Smash Brothers or Mario Kart, depending on how hard people want to get whooped. But um, but yeah, <laughs> um, that could be really cool. Um, and as far as other online tutorials um, that I'd recommend for, for people who are, are getting new to producing, um, definitely check out um, Pensado's Place. Um, it's, a, it's sort of a YouTube video podcast series 
where he basically, Dave Pensato is an insane mixing engineer. Um, and he, he basically just sits there in his studio and pulls up sessions and literally shows you how he mixes down vocals and guitars and whatnot. Um, so that's really, really cool if you're trying to get into mixing. Um, besides that, is there anything that you know of, Dane? For, for tutorials, like online tutorials? I don't really watch too many. Um, I don't want to like just guess because I don't know. So <laughs> I guess, yeah, that would be the one I would say. Check out that one. That would be the one. And then he said, in response to the King Henry interview, would it be possible to release Ableton live racks of some of these sounds or effects? Um, yeah, I mean, that would be a question for Henry. I definitely personally asked him as soon as the episode is over. He's like, yo, let me see those racks. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, uh, he talked about, if you guys missed that episode, Henry talked about how him and his, uh, his crew, kind of like the Major Laser crew, um, they go around and find synths. And then just record, you know, one note and sustained as sustained. far as it can. And they yeah. do it like 10 different ways, whatever. And they build these crazy racks of essentially of analog synths, but they're turning them into like simplers and Ableton. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you if you want his direct ones, that's going to be he's probably holding on to those pretty tight. But <laughs> there's no reason you can't go out and make your own, too. So Exactly. Um, and I will add that we're actually working on a splice pack for Team Supreme. And Mike, yeah, Mike and I were actually working in the studio yesterday, basically doing that for you guys. So watch out for the penthouse penthouse pack on the Team Supreme splice pack. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did mine too, but apparently yeah. I labeled everything wrong, so <laughs> I gotta redo it. But it's pretty tight. <laughs> the labeling is pretty intense on that. I didn't. I didn't even know there was a, like a rule. I just oh, kind of yeah. like labeled things based on <laughs> the packs I have. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Hopefully, I can fix it. Well, all right. And then, uh, is there any more questions on this one? Then, um, not a lot more to say to that. Thanks for keeping up. I'm pleased that I got back into podcasts around the time that y'all started up. Yeah. Cool. You know, we're kind of like branch of the podcast world, and I know most of our fan base is really not more in the SoundCloud world. Um, so if you guys listen to podcasts and you know how to like kind of find us through the podcast app, please tell your friends. I know it's kind of a new platform for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's in the long run, pe- everyone's going to be on this shit. So, yep. yeah, tell your friends. Is it once you sign up on the the like podcast on, on iTunes, does it basically just lo- like, does it follow you forever? Is that what, what do you mean? <laughs> does it does it consistently update your iTunes with the new Team Supreme podcast? See, I don't know. It? I mean, I just do it through my phone. So I have a I have an iPhone. So uh, every iPhone has a podcast app on it. That's right. And then you subscribe. Subscribe to yes. you know if you subscribe to us. Gotcha. Whenever we put up a new one, you'll just see it pop up, kind of like a new episode of like a TV show. That's the move. Um, I mean, we're on SoundCloud too, just because that's we're kind of using SoundCloud to host these. But ideally, we want to get everybody to like find us through an actual podcast hosting mm-hmm. thing because you know this isn't like a soundcloud type of thing yeah yeah but and um, it's convenient if you have it on your iphone just yeah. always ready to go no yeah i love i mean i love listening to podcasts for like long drives and stuff so cool so yeah tell your friends thanks for the question ben all right next up we got john cabrera yeah. basically wants to ask us about how we approach workflow and writer's block Ooh. Hello, Thanks darkness, you. my old friend. <laughs> yeah. The dreaded writer's block. <laughs> yeah, man. I would say make sure your life is full of other things that are not just music because I, I think for writer's block for me is just like instead of letting it overwhelm me and kind of think like, oh, I'll never be able to write something good again, which is kind of the go-to thought when yeah. you have writer's block, yep. I just kind of focus on other things. You know, go go see a movie, go hang yep. out with friends and talk about sports or something. something. I mean, you don't have to be into sports, but whatever you're into – 
make sure you're into something else besides music. Yes, exactly. I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Pretty much go do something that's not music related. Yeah. Just get out. Yeah. That's, that's my idea. Yeah. And, and just understand that writer's block literally happens to everyone. So, you know, even the sickest producers that you know, it, it happens to them as well. So just, yeah, it's, it's all creativity is all about waves and you just got to ride that wave and mm -hmm. wait for the next one when it happens. For sure. So, um, yeah. And workflow. How do I, how do I approach workflow? Um, workflow is one of those things where it's, it's helping you get your idea down in the computer as fast as you can. So if your workflow is is up to speed you're going to be able to get those ideas down very quickly and i've always found that the faster that i write the better my music usually is so uh workflow is extremely important if you if you want to get um you know quicker and and better at consistently making quality tracks um yeah and workflow is something different for everyone so yeah, yeah. what about you uh kind of the same thing i work really fast and um you know, try to I try to come up with lots of new ideas and then listen to them later and see like how cool they were. <laughs> All right. Because the more the more kind of like stuff you have cooking, the more I think, like the more we've put out Team Supreme, Team Supreme ciphers, the more I participate. I find that I'm writing more in general. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just mm -hmm. like it's not just the ciphers. Like me me writing more for the ciphers means I'm writing more in general, like outside of that as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, just keep starting new things when you feel like. You know, you feel like you suck. Just yeah. realize that you don't suck and take a step back and maybe start a new project or something. But mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for the question, John. And yeah, if you guys have any more questions, please keep hitting us up on the Team Supreme podcast at gmail.com. That's where we're going to respond to people directly. Um, we can try to get to the Twitter stuff and try to get to the Facebook stuff. But I feel like if you actually email that email, <laughs> yeah. we will respond. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's cool that like send us links, send us like the Dr. Dirge stuff. Is it Dirge or Dirge? I think it's Dirge. All right, write us in, let us know if we're wrong or right. I thought <laughs> I always thought it was Dirge until he said Dirge, but rest in peace, buddy. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, up next we got a really cool interview with Daddy Kev. Yeah, I think that's that's about it. That's about it. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we will see you next week with a dope. Another, I keep saying dope, uh, an, ep an episode um, where we kind of just record the live past the Ox event we're doing in LA. Yep. Um, I mean, we're going to shout out the show, but this comes out, you know, a week after the show happens. So, no, yeah, hopefully that, um, yeah, it's a great episode where you guys can kind of get to see what a Team Supreme show sort of feels like in LA and what the vibe is like and pretty much what everyone's producing out here. So um, I'm I'm really curious to hear what everybody brings to the to the Pass the Ox. Yeah, if you guys weren't at the first one or if you don't live around here, um, basically we just pass the Ox cable around and people play one minute of their original beats. I think we might have some special guests, some, uh, some heavy hitters come through this time. Um, and then, yeah, we'll put them all up on the podcast and you guys can listen back and hear the vibe of the show. Yeah. Well, all right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Check hey. in next week. Check in next week. Here's Daddy Cat. Peace.
battle of who has the lowest voice between Kev and I. <laughs> I already got the high pass on you. So <laughs> oh, damn. It's already over. War one. Analog EQ high pass. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what up, Kev? What up? We, uh, we're out here with Daddy Kev. If you guys don't know who Daddy Kev is, he's the uh, founder of Low End Theory and uh, Alpha Pup Records. Also, an incredible mastering engineer. Um, I feel like I've learned everything from mastering from you, and I, I tell everybody that. So Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully yeah. we get into some of that today. Yeah, I think uh, mastering is definitely something we need to pick his brain about. Um, or if, What would you tell a, a producer right now who's kind of just slamming their tracks with the only goal being just getting it as loud as possible? Um, you you know, know, I think that you know, when it comes to you know, a loudness and a full sound, that usually comes down to more of an arrangement uh, call and what you're doing with your production and the sounds that you're choosing versus how you're mastering it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, I think sometimes people think that the time to get like a full sheen out of a out of a song is is during the mastering process when actually that was supposed to be happening in the mix mm -hmm. and arguably during the production you know phase. So you know, I, I think with mastering, I mean, the way I'm always trying to approach it is to be number one conservative with the dynamic range and trying to preserve as much of that as possible. And secondly, you know, I, I'm usually doing what I call error correction. Mm -hmm. When I'm sweeping through with an EQ, I'm trying to notch out like resonant problems and, mm -hmm. you know, sibilance and things like that versus trying to save the song, you know, because at that point, the destiny of the song has already been determined. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love about your mastering is like, mo you just kind of take away stuff rather than add stuff, you know, most of it is, yeah, like you said, taking a fine, with a fine comb on an EQ and really looking for those overtones and knocking them out, you know, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes the world a difference. It makes the mix breathe more when you, when you slam it through. I mean, I think too, it's like, you know, you want to be mindful of your output level, you know, it's another thing where, People make big mistakes is, you know, putting your output level all the way up to zero uh, mm -hmm. decibels full scale. I typically am riding around negative uh, 0.3 decibels. That's mm. my normal mm -hmm. output level. And the reason for that is just to avoid the phenomenon of inner sample peaks, which will happen. And number one, anytime you take a limiter to all the way to zero dBFS and you're doing even a decibels of, you know, gain reduction is going to kick in. And I, I'm just... I try to be really mindful of that, make sure that as much as possible there's zero uh, inner sample peaks happening on my masters. And the other thing too is that those artifacts that happen when you're overshooting the limiter and you're overshooting what uh, the capture can actually be on a digital file, you you know these artifacts often don't become audible until mm. it turns into a compressed audio format. Mm. So your wave mm. will actually sound okay, but then as soon as it becomes a streaming, you know, 160 kbps Spotify stream, that's when you start to hear the distortion artifacts. Gotcha. Uh, or a, you know, 256 kbps Apple stream, things like that. You know, you have to really be mindful of 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 that part of the phenomenon. Yeah, I've, I remember you telling me one time when you're when you're listening to a track, you're more so listening or the dynamics specifically, the relative loudness versus the peaks, right? I think I remember you mentioning something about. Yeah, that. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, you want to when it comes to metering, right? I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of metering. I use primarily loudness units uh, when I'm doing metering versus RMS or VU, and you know, I'm really trying to be. I'm I'm extremely mindful of how much range there is, what the average loudness units reading would be, you know, mm -hmm. LUFS, and those, the integrated 
you know, reading as well as a short term. And it's about kind of, from a mastering perspective, I spend most of my time looking in a meter, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that my metering is dead on. Uh, I'm usually shooting for around negative 8.5, negative mm. 9 LUFS. That's my happy place, usually, you know. <clears throat> gotcha. Dope. Do you have any, um, you know, favorite artists to work with in terms of, like, their mixes are so clean before it even gets to you? Like, because I know you've mastered everybody, so. Uh, favorites. Or just ones that stick out to you? Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, the ones that... My favorite artists to work with are the ones that actually like my sound, you know? So I feel like, um, you know, Mr. Wazo is a really good favorite one to work with because he's, number one, he, he's, he ultimately likes what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of flying at the same altitude with just the vision, I think, of, of how the sound should be. And, and also just mixes well. You know, I mean, he's like my age, so it's like, oh, you got an older dude who's been doing it for a long time who, you know, has, to me, that's a joy to, to work on music that's crafted that's that cool. well. Um, you know, I mean, uh, of course, it's always great to work with Philo, you know. Hell I mean, yeah. Um, he's just an inspiring force to be around, especially when he's in a creative mode. So, um, you know, that's, that's also, he's, you know, a joy to, to work with. And we've been working together so long now, I feel like our flow is better than ever, you know? That's crazy. I feel like of all the artists I work with, I've probably done, you know, either him or Elvin probably the most records with, like insofar as mixing together and, you know, just being on board for the records, be it if I need to record a part here or mm -hmm. master the whole thing or whatever it is. And how does your approach change from like artists that utilize a lot of sort of live elements? Because I know both Flylo and Wazo use a lot of like hardware gear, a lot of like hardware. Rarely do they go into the VST world. Is there a difference between when you master something that's completely digitally produced versus something that's got more analog equipment on it? Yeah, I mean, you know, usually if there's something that's more analog, that means there's going to be less saturation maneuvers required by me. Um, if it's something that's completely <coughs> digital sourced from you know, start to finish, then, you know, that's kind of, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll use a bit more saturation and feel the, feel a little more liberty to distort a little bit more. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, I, when I say distort, I mean, I'm always, that's such a relative term, you know, because mm -hmm. anytime you're adding gain, you're technically distorting, period. You know, that's like part mm -hmm. of the science, it's just a matter of what's your total harmonic distortion that's happening as you're gaining up. Gotcha. You know? And that's why I'm always mindful of, of, gaining during an EQ process on a master. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes the last thing a song needs is distortion, mm -hmm. which then, you know, my approach will be entirely subtractive the entire time up until the limiting process. Gotcha. Because it, it, it does make a difference. Like, so say you have a, a utility just before your limiter and you try to gain on the utility versus gaining in the limiter itself. Both of those will do different things, right? Yeah, you don't, I mean, number one, you don't want to add an unnecessary gain step. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm only gaining the song one place, and that's post-EQ. Gotcha, okay. You know, so, mm -hmm. and that's my, or at least my first round of EQ mm -hmm. in the box before it goes outside and hits the analog stuff. It's like, that's my only gain point. I'm not regaining anything or even the whole mix or until 
I mean, not even at the limiter. At that point, the limiter's doing its thing and it's coming out zero. Gotcha. A unity gain, you know? So you make sure it's a, you're, you're, the, the healthy signal that you want post-EQ before you start running it through everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. And, and, and you're only adjusting the, EQ, the level once. Mm-hmm. You know, there's What's no... That? It's not having to render again, you know? Gotcha. Cool. Did we uh, did we record any of the stuff we talked about with Lowen Theory? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I, go back. I definitely want to tell that story again. So. <laughs> Let's go back to Lowen. So yeah, we recorded this once, but we're going to say it again because it didn't get recorded. But uh, basically, the way that we all met Kev was through Lowen Theory when we were you know eighteen, mm-hmm. um, nineteen at Chapman University in Orange County. We would just drive up, you know, forty five minute drive, and come see Lowen. Yeah. Um, and if you want to tell, like, kind of how... Yeah, I would... I think after the first time I went to Low End Theory, I pretty much went there for a, a year straight without without end. Like, every Wednesday I was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was and hooked. How'd you hear about it? I So I heard about Low End through Nalepa, who was actually in Team Supreme. He was our uh, one of our teachers at Chapman. Um, a lot of us in Team Supreme actually took a class from him at Chapman. That's how we all kind of started to meet. We met each other and started producing. Um, but yeah, he was the first person to, like, invite me down to Low End. He was, end up, he was playing a show down there, and... Um, yeah, it was the craziest experience. You know, I, I had never heard any music like that in my life, and yeah. I was just hooked I- immediately. Yeah. Yeah, and you got kicked out, right? And then I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it was like the second week I went to Low End. Uh, Nalepa, of all people, <laughs> tried to sly cutty hand me his his Heineken beer. <laughs> Apparently, he just went and bought a beer and tried to hand it to me and. I, the next thing I know, he's tapping on my shoulder, and he's like, hey, look, look, take this, take this. <laughs> and as soon as I grabbed that bottle, the security ran up with their flashlight, and they're like, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. But then I think a month later, I think I actually played low end, and uh, I think I shouted out the security guard on the microphone. So I was like, <laughs> I'm up here now. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. It's all good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess... Uh, my my story is similar. I just started coming up with you guys um, maybe like a year later. I, I didn't come for maybe like a year because I remember you guys were always talking about it for a while before I had ever been there. And um, I think I saw Hudmo or something for my first my first time there, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had never I had never really even been. I was kind of like I was like a nerd with like music musical theater shit. Like I'd never really even seen like a real <laughs> show that had speakers like that. I mean, not that there's a lot of shows with speakers like that, but I just never oh, yeah. heard anything like that. Yeah. And the quickness of it and like the the just consistency of beats of how fucking dope they were throughout the whole night. I was like, what is this mm-hmm. like universe? And that was, you know, obviously life-changing based on what we're doing now. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, without theory, without Lowen, there would be no Team Supreme for yeah, sure. No Team Supreme, yeah. no Great Day, no. No other beat collectives, really. <laughs> no, there'd be nothing. So, so thank you, Kev. Thank yeah, you, Kev. Thank for that. you. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you know, I always feel like, hey, you know, like we're we've existed as a platform, you know, for for the city, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I never, I always feel like, you know, I mean, Lowen Theory has its place. I never take credit for you know people's artistry and the brilliance of. You know, the brilliant artists that have come through there but you know it's it's definitely just uh i mean you know from my perspective it's just been an, uh, an utter joy you know to be involved with it and uh yeah hopefully we got you know a few more years left in us you know it's like mm-hmm. the guys aren't getting any younger you know so it's the world kind of like 
bunch of old guys running it at this point, so we're just trying to <laughs> nah. hold on and you nah. know, keep it interesting. <laughs> the Godfathers. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Preston said this when we first recorded, but I think it's worth saying again that it's pretty amazing you guys are doing it every week, and you've been doing yeah. it every week for so long, because we know how hard it is to throw shows you know, monthly or quarterly. So you know, can you talk about just... When, when did you decide that, okay, we'll do this every week? That was from the beginning. I mean, you know, I, I had done a, a weekly club prior called Concrete Jungle, so I kind of knew the, what the, you know, what the uh, cycle was like, you know, kind of what the, where you needed, where your head needed to be to, to have these lineups every week and the amount of, you know, time you need to devote to it to actually make a crack and so forth. But, I mean, to me, it's like it's actually easier to do a, a weekly than it is to do a monthly when it comes to the momentum mm. because you're just constantly revisiting it. You can't slip too far behind mm-hmm. on anything because it's like next thing you know, you got another show. And I think that that's a, you know, a very, how shall I put it, like just having the rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, is, is nice. And it's ultimately become a rare thing. Back when I started doing clubs, you know, uh, weeklies were a lot more common. Mm. Uh, these days, there's not that many weekly electronic nights mm-hmm. that you know that I'm I'm aware of. You know, I mean, there's like the some house and techno ones in Hollywood, but for like you know, dare I say, more interesting indie music, there's 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 not a lot of offerings. Not just here, but anywhere really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you? collect enough music to bring fresh stuff every single week that seems pretty crazy i mean a lot of it's based on you know my what i'm mastering because i master mm. so many records i do on average now about 50 albums a year wow so you know every week there's a new album i'm working through or a new album i'm starting to mix so that's kind of like a never-ending you know gift of, of new music to be able to want to play mm-hmm. and ultimately test out on the system uh, yeah just to see how it's going to sound on a big club system, and you know, I'm very fortunate to have that as a like kind of my my mastering chamber B. You know mm-hmm. what I mean to go and hear it, like to work on a on an album that day on a Wednesday, and then to go that night and play it and hear it like that, and actually do, and to see a crowd react too, depending mm-hmm. you know what what I'm doing mix wise on it or mastering wise, and how I can maybe change that to get a different reaction. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it's a it's very fortunate uh, position to be in. What have you seen um, in terms of, because you've been doing it for so long, like I remember when we first went, we were seeing Hudmo, we were seeing Flylo, um, you know, and I feel like those beats today are still just as like, he, he could play the same set today, either one of those, and it would still pop off. But, you know, it, the globe, like the trends, you know, over the last 10 years it, at Low End Theory, you know, musically, what have you seen kind of change or have like... I mean, we've seen a few things cycle in and out, you know, it's like... I feel like we were we were big on the dubstep thing when the dubstep wave was was cracking when it was new. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were I think I was the first you know DJ in the U.S. to play the Tonight record. You know, mm. which we were doing pretty early. I mean, we had we were dropping Uzi tracks mm-hmm. like long before the trap thing even was a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, so we've cycled through that. We've cycled through you know just these different eras of rap with you know TDE and all the Atlanta stuff and you know. I feel like all that has a place, you know, at Low End as well as the music that we're referencing from the past, you know, mm-hmm. be it Mo- the Moax catalogs, Ninja Tunes stuff, mm-hmm. you know, old fusion jazz stuff, you know, from the 60s and the 70s. I mean, these are all kind of, I feel like, part of the diet as well as classic New York hip hop and boom bap and Dilla stuff and everything Detroit related. You know, that all kind of, in, in my mind, kind of makes up, you know, our, our DNA, mm-hmm. you know, that continually changes because there's always new music and we're always reacting and then you stack that's 
to me, that that's what forms the backbone, and you know, and drum and bass and jungle and all that. That forms the backbone of of what the LA beat scene artists operate from. And I think on our best days, we're drawing from all those pools and trying to do our version of it. You know? Yeah, I think the only thing that I feel like is kind of not be not gone forever, but I feel like from low end, I haven't heard any dubstep in a while, which is like, you know, I'll, I'll still. Pl- I mean, honestly, I'll still. I've, I've heard a yeah, I'll still it. play yeah. Joker stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll still kind of do, you know, reference certain things that I still mean, when, sound great. You know, you know, when I'm out there like playing shows in other places, like it's not dead. You know, it's it's out oh, there. It's popping. <laughs> it's arguably <laughs> one of the most popping like at festivals in 2016. It was probably one of the most, uh, you know, crowd roaring. You know. Yeah genres but yeah. I mean it is what it is I mean you know we try to stay I feel like the, if there's anything that's kind of happened to our uh, benefit it's just the fact that the LA beat scene while there is like a genre of beats it never became like a real genre Yeah, the guys are able to kind of operate between hip hop stuff and jazz stuff and mm-hmm. the pure electronic stuff and kind of it's, you know, walk between all these worlds and R&B and, mm-hmm. and that works you know what I mean a, you know, a, a Flying Lotus and a Thundercat these kinds of guys they can they can walk that line, and I think that that's, if anything, you know, trying to, you know, producing a generation of artists that can, you know, be multidisciplinary mm-hmm. when it comes to the genre stuff, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we didn't get labeled as a dubstep thing. I mean, no, granted, yeah. mm-hmm. we've been eulogized plenty of times about, you know, the beat scene, whatever, you know, I'm onto the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, but I think it just comes down to, yeah, but whatever the next thing is, you guys are always you're like, yeah, we play that shit too. That's, that's you are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and it's just the, again, it's just having this, you know, great artist community backing it up. It's like, you know, I, I feel that's one of the unique things about it, you know, is that there's mm-hmm. a genuine camaraderie and, and a genuine interest and people want to get sparked. And, you know, at this point, we've seen a few generations of producer come through that place mm-hmm. over 10 years. and. Mm-hmm see the cycle. I mean, most people's life cycle as an artist actually doing it for real is between, you know, three to four years. So it's like seeing these ascents, seeing the dis- the then corresponding descent, mm-hmm. seeing how, you know, how, how that can work and people can tra- transition and, and maintain their, you know, I don't want to say relevancy. It's not necessarily about cultural relevancy. It's about your business acumen. Mm-hmm. You know, how well have you planned this out? You know, where are, you, where are your revenue streams coming from type thing? Because you you know you will burn out if mm-hmm. you do if you tour too much mm-hmm. or if you produce too much mm-hmm. or if you you know you do any of this stuff too much it'll rip your soul out you know so <laughs> you have to kind of you know have that balance you know I feel like that's um, I think actually something that Dane wanted to ask you about um, yeah about, just about kind of just in like kind of vague terms or whatever however you know you don't have to get too personal but I know you have you know a family and you have a life which is you know <laughs> we're, we're still like you know in our 20s and there's people that listen to this they're probably you know way younger than that mm-hmm. so I think it'd be good for people to hear you know you know when did you start finding that balance and feeling like okay I can do all this at once you know I mean I don't I don't know if I ever feel like I can do it all at <laughs> once but yeah um but you know I mean I, I feel like you know you you need to Everyone's able to derive, like, you know, I feel like you want to be in touch with what your, what your power source is. You know, where, where are you getting your mojo? Where are you getting your creative energy? You know, for some people, I, f- I feel like, you know, it's from social media, okay? Mm. You, you're, you're putting up music, you're putting up images, you're getting this feedback, and that's what you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. You know, or that's what people turns into what they're doing it for. You know, to me, it's, I, I've, I've been doing this so long, you know, I've been pushing records and producing artists before, 
Instagram and before Twitter and before Facebook and before MySpace and, you know, back into the 90s. And, you know, I, I want to say even back to then, I tried to be in touch with the idea that, you know, you're doing this, you know, for your family, you know, that there's a, mm-hmm. there's, there's a that part of it, you know, you're kind of repping for your family when you're stepping into this music thing. And mm-hmm. and as I had, as I, and as I met my, my wife and had children with her and got married and, you know, that even became a stronger part of that foundation of what, what am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. What, you know, where's my point of inspiration from? And I feel like, hey, you know, if you can get that from your family, you know, if you can get that from your wife or your partner and, you know, and, and children, if you end up having them or whatever, then, you know, th- that's a great place to get that from, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, doing it, you know, for, again, for social media likes or doing it, you know, for pure fame. I mean, I get it. You know, for some people, it's a combination. It's not just a singular thing. There's mm-hmm. different things that's fueling it. But, you know, to me, it's like you, you want to have a strong base insofar as where you're getting that from. And, and, and it takes work. You know, I don't have a choice. I got like, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and <laughs> almost two-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like I got to be on, on deck yeah. for that. But it's yeah. like, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, for other folks, it's, you know, people will bow out of that. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of musicians that aren't, active in their kids' lives, and, you know, the road becomes this, like, retreat for them, you know what I mean, to kind of get away from that, and, you know, I get it, you know, you want to have balance, you know, I'm not saying you need to be, like, Mr. Mom all the time, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you, need to, you need to put in the time, because it's, it's due, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't, your kids will let you know eventually, and, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be in that position either, and, you know, I just feel like at the end of the day, man, you know, you just you just want to have your values straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think whether you know it or not, that comes through to us a lot. And, too, like, I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons we've all kind of, like, stuck around and been friends and been, like, almost like a family together, like yeah. all, all of us um, <clears throat> for the last, you know, mm-hmm. five, ten years is because we kind of get that vibe from you and from the people that we've been surrounding ourselves with um, that it's not just, like, oh, you know, Kev's using me for, like, this record, or, like, I'm using him for this. It's like, well, there's something bigger than that. Like, we're all just kind of, like, enjoying making this music and, like, working together as a family, kind of, as friends. And that's why, you know, we keep talking to the same people. We keep working with the same people because of that, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I've, you know, when I went to college, I studied philosophy. A lot of the stuff uh, that I specialized in was, like, the uh, Greek philosophy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Plato was one of these dudes that was, like, big into him and big into Aristotle, but you know, he had broken down, you know, the nature of friendship, mm-hmm. you know, and that there was three things it could be that it was generally based on, you know. Uh, thing number one would be um, utility, meaning that you kind of, there's a business relationship, you know, mm-hmm. you're exchanging money, you're selling goods, you're, you know, your friendship is based upon that utility. Another thing would be pleasure, meaning like, hey, you like water skiing? I like water skiing. Mm-hmm. We're going to be friends, you know. Like Plato, that. big water skier. Yeah, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, like, today, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't know, you know what I mean? So, Or, like, I, you like music? I like music. Okay, cool. Yeah, like, yeah. we're going to be friends based on that, you know, that we like the same music. And then the third type of friendship was based upon um, virtue. You know, the fact that that person that you're around, you know, you see good, good values in that person. Mm-hmm. And they, in return, see it in you. And the point of what I'm trying to say is that Plato saw that that type of friendship was the one that would actually last. Mm. You know, the friendships based upon utility have an expiration date. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, friendships that are based on pleasure stop when you change your mind about what you like to do recreationally. But, you know, again, if you have friends in your life and that friendship is based upon virtue and good virtue and things mm-hmm. like that, then that's, 
that's the kind of friendship that's going to last, you know, forever, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the longest you're alive, hopefully. So, you know, I mean, I try to, that's usually the folks that, I mean, you know, at this point, have been in the music business long enough and signed hundreds of acts and, you know, worked hundreds of records. Um, you know, sometimes I think when people are hitting me up to get signed to Alpha Pup, you know, at this point, I'm a lot more careful, I'm a lot more guarded, and I just tell folks, you know, until I've really known you like a year and kind of mm. spent some time and <clears throat> seen you around and, you know, had some interactions, I'm not going to... I'm not going to just jump in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the biggest questions I get from young producers um, when I'm just talking to people. They say, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how do you like, make that first step? And I say, go to shows. Go to yeah. Low End Theory every oh, yeah. week. Yep. Go meet these people. Yep. Don't send them, like, just don't be another bot that's sending them a beat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if you have the most fire beats in the world, <laughs> like, I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't trust you. Like, go, go meet me. Like, Come to a Team Supreme show. Come like bring USB. You gotta actually put in work and like yeah. and like not be a shitty person. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, well, I think it just comes down to like, I mean, you gotta be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that takes genuinely mm-hmm. being there. Yeah, you can't phone that in. And it's yep. like, I mean, I'm around enough folks. There'll be people who are like, Hey, it's my first time here. <laughs> I just came to see you to give you my USB drive. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yo, honey, like, you know, like you might want to come through like. Six weeks in a row yeah, yeah. before I even begin to think about booking you down here. You know, just sure. because there's kids who yeah. will do that, there's yeah. kids who have done that, and that's, yeah. that's to me did. like that's what we did. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I mean, that shows a lot more. You know, investment in the situation. You're, yeah. you're you you want you genuinely want to be there, and that's. I mean, as you guys know, that's that's church for yeah. for most of us. You know, yeah. so and that's yeah. We don't say that lightly. You know, so it's like either you're like part of the congregation mm-hmm. or you're just there to kind of like have your moment and move on and mm. to me it's like I can smell that from a mile away yeah, you know definitely while we're on the subject I did want to bring up uh, our, our friend Elos because he's a perfect example I think <laughs> of somebody that, that just you know lives and breathes the low end life and oh yeah that's, I, our, that's I, my I wanted, dog yeah yeah I wanted to see how you met Elos because I, I you know just I, the front row that's he's always that, there that yeah. Dude, yeah. be in the front row <laughs> yeah. over yeah. and over and then finally I was I think I think I tripped him out I, I, he I have to like check in with him. This being the exact story, but it was something along the lines of me pretty much just being like, "Hey, man, like, I've seen you here now enough times. Like, if you make beats, send them to me." And he was like, "Yeah," and then we immediately started putting out his records. You know? That's so tight. I feel Amazing. like he's like the Daniel Johnston of of Team Supreme and Lowen. He's he just kind of like prolific and just writing all the time and then yeah. like, he'll just pop up and be like damn Elos like, <laughs> he's that. a killer yeah, yeah. man his music yeah. is amazing I yeah. love it I love it <laughs> um, also just in case this I mean I think this got deleted also but like can you just kind of like not to be like name droppy but I know we were there when Henry dropped his like Frank Ocean remix and then Frank Ocean just tweeted the next day like yeah. whose remix was that and you were like you know, you responded. So yeah, 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 yeah. What's it like when like people like Frank Ocean roll through Low End? You know, I mean, that's always. I mean, that's. I feel like that's the ultimate flattery we can receive. You know, for putting together an event and having folks like that or a Tom York or an Erica Badu. You know, want to just come through and check it out. I mean, um, and Prince. Yeah, or Prince. Yeah, <laughs> or I mean, Prince. I mean, <laughs> it's. I mean, to me, it's just you know we and and we do it, but you know, but ultimately we do it really more for. You know, your 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 eighteen year old bedroom producer. That's kind of what I'm there to do it for. Mm, you know, mm. versus the celebrity angle. I mean, it's cool. It's definitely newsworthy, and it's something that I can. You know, my mom will ask me about. That's you know, <laughs> definitely a cool. But I feel that there's a certain part of that that we also uh, kind of try to eschew to a bit, and because it, again, you know, if we're being a a legit community operation, you know, then 
it's got to be about really, you know, what's next. Mm-hmm. And um, those are just like extras, you know. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's cool. I mean, it's dope. I mean, you know, <coughs> when Idris Elba played. That was like yeah. to me one of the coolest things we've ever pulled off down there. Because I'm just a fan, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. But um, but for the most part, you know, we're not. You know, I try to just. Uh, ignore when that ha- stuff happens partially. I mean, you know, when Prince showed up, it was definitely like a whoa, you know, like <laughs> yeah. moment, you know, but, uh, you know, just the same. I mean, you know, we just try to keep our, you know, kind of be on earth about this stuff, you know? Definitely. Mm-hmm. What was I going to say? I lost track of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, all I'm thinking about is Prince walking through low, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, I think Tower just like, why did we fucking miss that? <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, cool. Uh, do you have anything you want to say like that we haven't brought up that... Um, uh, I don't know. Where, I do mean, you, where do you see things going? <clears throat> Maybe with low end or with you or with mastering or with music in general? I mean, you know, for me, ultimately, you know, when I'm riding off into the sunset, it's it's going to be, you know, probably just doing studio stuff only, you know, eventually. Uh, Would you ever, like, you know, delegate team, or, sorry, low-end theory to, you know, keep going without you? Or? No, no. I mean, you know, uh, we say this with some regularity, you know, low-end theory is going to live and die at the airliner, yeah. you know, that... You know, and we've done festival iterations, and we've done t- we've toured it. You know, we've done a bunch of mm-hmm. versions of it, but I think that the reality is that the low end theory that people want is a Wednesday night at the airliner in Lincoln Heights, mm-hmm. and that you know that's granted again. There's a huge you know pool of artists who've emerged from that platform who've gone on to do to be on much bigger stages and to mm-hmm. do you know hugely impactful uh, albums and, and tours. You know, I, th- I think it's just about us being kind of true to what, you know, what it really is versus mm-hmm. our imagination of what it could be, you know. And mm-hmm. I have no plans of selling it out, you know what I mean, and starting a chain of Chili's restaurants <laughs> called Low in Theory where you get to hear beats really loud, you know. It's like we're, you know, and, and, and I think that it's going to need, I feel like some of the DJs, you know, like after, when Low in Theory, say, reaches its end, you know, as a weekly these guys are going to be able to write their own ticket. You know, mm-hmm. they, they'll be able to tour and, and do that wherever they want to do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 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 a bit I'm, you know, these days I spend a majority of my time on business related things. You mm-hmm. know, so you know, right now, like I'm in the midst of getting our jazz label imprint through Alpha Pup really cracking, and you know, things like yeah. that. And you know, I want to say like, you know, that's. For my future, it's going to be more on the label side and what a what a label should be doing in this era, and uh, you know, and and as well as the the studio stuff. Because I love, I mean, that's really my first love mm-hmm. of all of this stuff. I mean, I, I do love DJing and I, I love performing at Low End Theory for sure, and mm-hmm. I will miss it, you know, quite a bit when when that stops. But just the same, it's like you know, uh, making records. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what I got in this business. To begin with, and even though it's become less profitable, you know, there's less people buying music and things like that. I mean, I'll, it'll never stop where my real obsession lies, mm-hmm. and and that's going to be, you know, and, and still literally. I mean, I'm I hope to be mastering records until you know I'm in my deathbed. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it's that's when it stops for me. You know, for sure. Yeah, that's um, um, yeah. What I was going to add to that. Um, yeah, it's. Lowen to me, 
has been like a home <laughs> more yeah. than like a, an event or anything and I think that the music you guys put out like at, at the end of the day it, it's all about the music and that's my favorite part about all this mm-hmm. um, you know and I, I tell this to a lot of students because Dane and I teach at a production school and a lot, I have a lot of students that make interesting different types of music experimental hip-hop jazz and a lot of these students don't know where to take their music where to perform their music, where to play it, who to play it for. And my first answer is always go to Lone Theory. Hell yeah. I mean, be there every week. That's what it is. I think for like two, it's like there's, you know, I mean, there's a metaphor that I think about when I'm, when I'm mixing usually. And, and it has to do with, and I I think this can be applicable to artist careers and decision-making. That is that, you know, when you're making EQ, say you're like EQing a kick drum, you know, I'm always really aware that when I'm doing moves on that smaller level at the beginning of a mix, you know, as the kind of time is going by and the things coming together, that those moves will then get uh, multiplied after it hits a limiter. Okay, mm. so again, like say I'm adding mm-hmm. a bit of bass in the mix when that, on a kick drum. By the time it's hitting the limiter, it's going to evolve a little bit more. What mm-hmm. That little change I did is actually, say, plus 5 dB there is actually going to translate to plus 1. Mm down the road. Um, same thing goes for if you're doing like, you know, bus compression, the idea of that, you know, you're doing one change here, then it's going to actually be amplified even more once mm-hmm. it hits the compressor and amplified again once it hits a limiter stage or maybe another thing or another EQ that's pushing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, getting good at engineering is really about anticipating what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that the moves that you're making, while they may seem small, or actually end up becoming more magnified as time goes on, as the process unveils itself. I feel that same thing exists with artists, you know mm. what I mean? And the, and the decisions that you're making early in your career, the people that you're surrounding yourself with, the, rec- the singles that you're putting out, the albums that you're putting out, mm-hmm. these end up having, you know, at the time it seems so innocuous, like, oh, I just put up a remix on SoundCloud, no big deal. Well, actually, that has more repercussions down the line. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like bad habits. You know what I mean? Just bad work habits, bad drug habits, whatever that is. Like, usually it seems innocuous. Like, oh, I'm just going to try a little bit of heroin. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, no. Like, five years from now, you're going to be dead. You know? yeah, so it's yeah, like, so it's yes. like, I think you want to be, you know, at any point kind of anticipating, you know, how what this means. I think, I don't want to say anticipate. I mean, I kind of like try to adopt like a Buddhist philosophy more than ever these days about really trying to be in the present. And I feel like the more you're in the present, the more you're aware of how mm-hmm. these things can, you know, be again amplified down the line. Th- that almost makes me. I can be more in the present, knowing that that what's that's going to happen. It kind of makes me more in control of mm. the moves that I'm making from an EQ, you know, at least from an engineering point of view. Hell yeah, you know, that's beautiful, man. I yeah, mean, that's, that's yeah. You just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, and yeah. it's great hearing it from you because you've been doing it a lot longer than us. So it's like that's kind of like what I would, what I feel is kind of the vibe of successful people. And then just mm-hmm. hearing it from you is you know solidifies that. You yeah, know? you manifest it. Yeah, yeah. It's all tied in. All it's like chi. It's like tying into the three chi's, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, hey guys, you get one shot at this thing called life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you know you, you know the. I, I feel like. You know, everything, every mistake that I've made in the business was my fault. You know what I mean? And every bad decision, I've, and every bad thing that's happened to me has been a result of me making a bad choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that as a young person, it's harder to own up to that. You feel more like the world has kind of got some over you. But the reality is that you get to 
plot your own path, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that the more you can be cognizant of that, the more you can be responsible about your decisions. And and ultimately, too, guys, it's about you want to be – if you want to do music for a living, for real – you need to really get a, a, a firm control over your finances. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's not, unfortunately, for most artists, it's not the steady stream. You don't just get your salary. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kind of like it's up and then it's down and then it's up again and then it's way down and then it's way up. And then, it, you know, it's like it's yeah. kind of it's really hard unless you went to business school or unless your dad was a banker and was like really schooling you from 10 years old. Like <laughs> you're, you're approaching this kind of with with not a lot of <laughs> Not a lot of experience to, to have it go well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, when you look at really, like, real wealth, that's usually a multi-generational uh, thing that's happened from the grandparents to the parents to the kids. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't just happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, there, and I think you want to you wanna be aware of that, for one. Number two, you want to be as responsible as possible with your money. You know what I mean? And and with your credit and making sure that you're not making bad decisions mm-hmm. because you're financially compromised. I mean, I can't tell you how many people aren't even doing this music thing anymore that I know because they did yeah. a bad deal. Yeah. It went terrible, and it, and it soured them out to the point where they're like, no, I'm not even going to bother yeah. doing mm-hmm. music. And I tell you, mm-hmm. you can if you, if you have your finances together, you know, and that ultimately just means living within certain constraints. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, you know, um, your chances of success are tenfold mm-hmm. than most artists I know. I mean, most guys mm-hmm. I know that are on major labels – are like either A, about to declare bankruptcy, <laughs> or B, like five years away from it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I'm saying, bro. Yeah. Like, it's not, a, it's not a pretty picture. And also, too, I mean, even like these acts that are touring, I mean, the guys yeah. that are getting, that are going to the bank are the agents mm-hmm. and, and the managers and usually the people who own the venue. You know, that's the, mm-hmm. those, that's where the gold mines are. It's not, I mean, for better or for worse, it's not in the artistry because by the time you strip off a management fee, a, book, a booking fee, yep. pay for all of your hotels, your flights, everything. Equipment, yeah. So I've seen people's yeah. guarantees go down to less than ten percent. Yeah. Of what the original amount was, like, what do you mean? I thought it was ten grand for the show. You mean I'm only getting a rack? <laughs> like, yeah. That's commonplace. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you want to do something live too, <laughs> then you got to bring extra gear. Yeah. For sure. It's for crazy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, consistency is key. You know, it's, yeah, you're you're right. There's a lot of people that end up dropping off as soon as that first sort of hiccup happens, but it's the follow-through and the consistency. That's something that I've learned, you know, by watching you guys as well, you know, staying staying with it every single week. I think that actually might have been the inspiration for us doing Team Supreme Ciphers every week. It was kind of like the consistency of low-end being something every single week, and there's a lot of power in that. So it's I mean, it's exercise, you know? It's like you want to be... I mean, it's a trip. I just feel like, you know, um, it's you, you want to stay honed, you know. And there's certain skills out there that are perishable mm-hmm. skills. You know, if you don't keep up on it, it's not, not everything's like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you got to stay sharp. And, uh, yeah, I mean, doing being in front of a crowd every week and executing multiple sets every week f- mm-hmm. for years, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the best practice I could ever ask for, you know. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Well, cool. all right. Cool, man. This What's is up, awesome. guys? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. And stuff. Dude, thanks, for, thanks for coming thank, through, Kev. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I guess everyone just look out look out for Daddy Kev and what he's doing on Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter, Daddy Kev? He's Daddy Kev, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, he's always mastering somebody. He's always got shows coming up, so yeah. Always dropping unreleased heat at low end. Yes. <laughs> and if you, yeah, like we said, like just go to low end, be there for, you know, a year straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah, See what straight. happens, man. Something good will happen. <laughs> Come through. Say hi. I'm yeah. there. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Kev. Peace. Yeah, thanks. Peace.